It's awesome to see all those kids right there. He's <laughs> a good dad. Let's pray. God, I know this is not a production. If it was, we're horrible at it. Um, but God, I, I know that um, this is about you. And uh, we should be here to um, learn from you and to grow in you. Um, I should be preaching, Lord, uh, your word um, in such a way that you brought it to me. And uh, so this is, um, this is heavenly, this is divine, this is something about you. And uh, we should tremble, we should come with confidence, we should rejoice, we should have sorrow, we should have all these different emotions that, that we're told we're to have, but God, you enable us to do everything. Um, by your grace, um, you do these things. And so, um, Lord, I don't know exactly what to pray for, but I, I know that you know what we need, and I know that you are our Father. And uh, so I ask God, that uh, you would you would bring us to you, draw us near to you, cause us to love you today, God, and cause us to understand your word in your name. Amen. Um, really excited to speak this morning. I'm not excited that it's um, due to because um, Pastor Bob is not feeling well. So, as we all know, be praying for him. I decided to talk this morning about marriage. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, there's been a number of close friends of mine, um, Christian friends, um, as well as a pastor friend, different people that have been close to me in my life that have gone through divorces over the past three, four, five, six years. Um, People that I never would have thought would get a divorce. Um, have had divorces. Anymore, it almost seems that it is the norm almost for kids to grow up without um, father and mother in the home. Um, When I'm talking to kids, taking reports, I have to ask, um, okay, now now who's your who's your dad? You know, what address is his? (laughs) Um, Is your name the same last name? Um, When I just watch movies of decades before I was born, it appears that the norm is you have a father and mother, and you have the same last name, and there seems to be an understanding of the function of the father and mother a little bit more. And I'm talking about movies. I'm not talking about the Bible. Um, So the Bible we're going to see actually shows us (laughs) what that function is supposed to be. Um, so it is sad, and I don't need to go into statistics. I don't even know statistics. I didn't Google it. All I know is that divorce is high. Marriage is not valued the way it should be anymore, and it is huge. It is, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Um, so I found myself in the same boat seven years into my marriage. I'm wondering why. <laughs> why did I marry this woman? She's wondering why did she marry me. I met my wife in Bible college. Um, Simpson University over in Reading, 
And uh, before we ever even got together, um, we're talking on the phone, as uh, a lot of us do, about a theological topic that we have in one of our classes. And so we're debating back and forth about it. I like to play devil's advocate all the time. And uh, my wife, most of you know her. She's right there. I keep pointing at her. She probably hates it. But she's pretty calm and easy to get along with, unlike me, half the time. But uh, she is very passionate about what she believes. And so me playing devil's advocate and really having no ties being a boyfriend or anything to her um, doesn't feel any obligation to uh, agree with anything I have to say. So got really angry with me and then hung up the phone on me. And I decided I really liked this girl. Um, because that was what I wanted. I wanted a woman that was passionate about her faith. But then we got, so we got married a week after um, we graduated in 2003. And um, seven years into our marriage, looking at each other, and we knew, um, we knew just basically because we grew up in Christian homes that divorce is not an option. We knew from Christian counseling before we ever got married, uh, Mr. Gower, that divorce is not in our dictionary. He says, you need to take that out of your dictionary. So the question was, what am I going to do? We had differences. It wasn't some huge adulterous uh, problem or anything in our marriage. Uh, We were different. (laughs) There is, yeah, (laughs) it's obvious, right? And I prayed a lot before all then, like, God, teach me to love. And then I got married, and he's like, I'm teaching you, and I stopped praying it. Um, <laughs> but um, so, so the question is, of course, what, what, what am I going to do? The divorce is not in my vocabulary. I've been told, and, and I love Christ, so, so what am I going to do? So this morning, I want to share the foundation that saved my marriage, and that still is sustaining my marriage today. We're going right to the heart of marriage. We're going to go down to the grassroots of what it means to be married. We need to understand that marriage is a covenant. There's so many different sermons that I've listened to, that I've heard about about marriage that are very important, that have to do with practical how the, the woman's supposed to be in the marriage, how the man's supposed to be in the marriage, but the root of it all is covenant. And that's where I want to go this morning. The two points that I'm hoping to get across are, number one, marriage is a covenant designed by God and for God. Number two, when we reflect God's design for marriage, we'll gain what we want from marriage. Here is a definition of covenant that I I took from Wayne Grudem. I'm going to go really slow on it. Um, I like this. It's kind of lengthy, but but really try to listen to the words that, that are being used here. A covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. This is by God. It's not a contract. We don't decide 
in the sense of the definition of marriage, if we're going to agree to the definition of marriage, God set the definition of marriage. It's divinely imposed. What we want from marriage are usually things like love, sex, completeness, excitement, stability. Um, In our culture, the American dream, the vision of of the American family, white picket fence, a house, we got our cars, kids go to school, everyone says please and thank you. Um, A a beautiful picture of marriage. Oftentimes we get a, a, a view that comes from Disney. Um, the shows, you know, once you're, you're the knight in shining armor, you go and you find your princess, and then the two come become one, and it's beautiful love, and everything's going to work perfectly after that. And then we tend to take that and think like, well, if my marriage isn't working that way, then this must not be the right person. And then, of course, we want satisfaction. So, for the most part, though, for the most part, not, not all of it, those things are good things to want in a marriage. And those desires, they're fine to have, but they're secondary to what is central. Christ. He is at the center of marriage, and if He is not at the center of marriage, then we can work as hard as we want on the secondary issues, and we'll never obtain them. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go where you probably thought I was going to go this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by God. He wrote it around 60 A.D. from a prison in Rome to the church at Ephesus. And it was supposed to circulate all the churches, and obviously it's circulated a lot of churches because we have it this morning. And it it was uh, modern-day Turkey. Sometimes I forget where these places are, so we're talking about Turkey. That's where the church of Ephesus um, is located. The book of Ephesians is six chapters long. The first three chapters focus on theology, some foundational facts about who we are and how we came to be. And then the second three chapters are going to focus on the application of those foundations. And I want to build up at just, just some, base, some of the theme that we see going through that's going to lead us then to chapter 5. So really quickly, going through this, Chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Ephesians is really important because it teaches us that God chose us. Before we were born, He knew you. When you were still in the womb. Chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So, just as we're, I want to I see a connection here as we go through because we're talking about covenant here, covenant, uh, God's covenant with us, the new covenant that's to come, found in Christ, and then the marriage covenant, and they're they're just gonna they're just gonna come together at the end of this, and we we need to see the marriage was formed by God, designed by God on His terms, a covenant. He knew you. He knew you first. It's really important. Flowing then into chapter 2, 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which tells us then it is done by His grace and our, our knowing of Him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then through this, because He has done it and we are brought together as a family, then we are one in Christ. Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2 says, Remembering we were strangers to the covenants, we're talking about the old covenant, of promise, but now are purchased by His blood. Then seeing the new covenant. Moving on to chapter 3, we're going to talk about mystery. There is a mystery that has been hidden for ages. And that is what is talked about in the Old Testament. That, that God is, there, there's going to be a new covenant that comes. God is going to write His Word on our hearts. And so this mystery has been finally revealed through Christ. And the mystery is that not only are the Israelites included in the promise, but also all people are. Gentiles. It doesn't matter if you're not an Israelite, but you too are part of the promise. And the beautiful picture of this um, foreshadowing of, of the new covenant that is to come is, I, I think, one of the best places. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I had with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. All throughout this. See, see, over and over again, God made the covenant. The people broke it. God sustains His side of the covenant. Always. It's huge. My covenant that they broke. Though I was there, and listen to this language, husband. Beginning to see this, this imagery all through the Bible. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. The Holy Spirit is now in us. We know what this was foreshadowed. They, they didn't know. It was a mystery. How is God going to do this? You and I know now. He sent Jesus. He died on the cross. And now we have the Holy Spirit in us. And it's written on our hearts. The Spirit is working through us to understand the Scripture, to know Him, and to Love Him. He promised it. He showed it. This is what I am going to do. It's non-negotiable. It's not a contract. He's telling us. And so, by this covenant, we're all, we all who are Christians have unity through Christ. We're one body. And because we're one body, we have a certain way that we're supposed to live. And so, the rest of the book of Ephesians explains to us, because of these foundations, because you are one in Christ, bought by the blood of Christ, through covenant, this is how I want you to live. But first, we had to establish who we are and 
how we became who we are. So it, it might seem to a certain degree that, that we've gone on a little bit of a rabbit trail, but like I said just a little bit ago, I, this is huge in seeing how the two parallel and how they come together relating to marriage and then the covenant um, of salvation, um, the blood of Christ. So in order for us to understand marriage, we have to know how it was established and why it was established. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 25 through33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Notice as it's going through back and forth the language of Christ in the church and in marriage. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want to focus on verse 32, where it says, this mystery is profound. So, what is the mystery that's being talked about here? Um, It is verse 31, is the answer. Let me go back to verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're talking about marriage here. This mystery is profound because it's a picture of Christ in the church. Your marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Christ's love for the church. Marriage is a union between a male and a female joined together by God with the purpose to display for us a picture of Christ in the church. Our marriages were designed by God to be a picture of God's love for the church. And then also we then see the submission that the church has to the Father in the relationship. The husband and wife, Christ in the church. We know as Christians... That when Christ is at the center of everything that we do in our lives, when He is in charge of everything, then everything in our life is in alignment. It's functioning how it should be. God is worshipped and then we are satisfied. When our marriages are functioning as a covenant, when Christ and His love for the church is on display because Christ is the foundation of our marriage, God gets the glory and we get the satisfaction in marriage. Because our marriage then is focused in a way that God designed marriage to be. Ephesians 5.31 is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And so that's where the mystery that's already been revealed begins. And that's where marriage begins. And so 
I want to go to Genesis chapter 2 and look at that. But I want to make one comment about that before um, we get there in Matthew chapter 19. I think it's Matthew chapter 19. There we go. Um, It's where the Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up about divorce. They're questioning him about divorce. And the Pharisees came up to him, this is verse 3, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, quote, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I just wanted to take that and comment. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, yeah, Deuteronomy, are written by Moses. But it's God telling Moses what to write. It is inspired by God. And so we see right there, when Jesus is being questioned about divorce, God, Jesus says, have you not heard that it is written? So Jesus says, these are my words. This is God that is saying what marriage is. And that is huge to think about. If we, if we say who, <laughs> that we are who we are in Christ, we should really care if it's God saying it. Okay? Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Him a helper fit for him. Not out of the ground... Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds in the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Hold on just one sec. Just know when God is bringing all the animals before Adam and he's naming them, They're not trying to see if one of those animals could suffice to be the wife. Okay, That's not the point there. Just just side note, he's naming animals. That's it. God has a plan. Eve's the plan. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So... There it is. This, this is marriage. This is where marriage begins. God made Adam. He loved Adam. He had a plan also to give Adam a helper because Adam needs a helper. That part needs no explanation. <laughs> I need my wife. <laughs> you need your wife. 
Wives need their husbands. And so Adam was caused to fall into a deep sleep. And so not out of something different, not out of the ground and the dust as God formed Adam, but out of Adam's side, from Adam, was taken out a rib. And then Adam's side was closed up. And then out of a rib, Eve was formed. So, so in a sense, in kind of a profound way of thinking about it, something was taken away. So it was no longer whole from Adam. And then Eve was formed. And so, in a sense, we're looking at, we see that there is not, there's not a completeness anymore until that other part is brought back again with Adam. And then God forms Eve. And then we see a beautiful picture. The first ever handing off of the father and the bride. In the most profound sense. God being the Father and Eve being the bride. See this at the end of verse 22. We'll read the whole verse. In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. I have no clue exactly what that looked like, obviously, but... That's huge. So, so when we look at our marriage ceremonies and we think back, why is this stuff important that we're doing? Um, it, we, we are remind, we're supposed to be reminding ourselves of the very foundations and the root of what marriage is. God bringing a husband and wife together. Something that He designed. And then we see the heart of covenant in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and, here it is, hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Holding fast here is something that is unbreakable. Okay? It is permanent and it's, in, it's an indissoluble union. One flesh. This is like a sexual union. We have pieces of the puzzle that go together. This is the rated G version. And it is a beautiful thing. It is a consecration of marriage brought together by God. And then at the very end of it, then it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. This is just not, not, not a shame because their bodies look like beach bodies and there were fitness and there was no problems with it yet because, because sin hadn't come into the world. This is, this is more than just the outside of what's going on. This is naked and not a shame because they had complete trust in God, first of all, and trust with one another. We desire to have this in our marriages now. I do. <laughs> I wish I'd never had any flaws or any, any problems at all with my marriage. This is the perfect union in marriage. Before there was sin in the world. Before the next chapter comes in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. So we're going to go into Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to go through the whole story. But sin came into Adam and Eve's marriage and they broke the covenant 
in their disobedience. God kept the covenant. He said, this is what it shall be. He designed it. And then Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They went against what God told them to do. They ate from the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was separation that happened to Adam and Eve. Sin came into their marriage. And then it says they knew that they were naked. Meaning they lost their trust in one another. They became vulnerable. They realized that there was now a gap in their relationship. They're no longer who they ought to be. And they tried to hide their nakedness from each other by sewing together leaves to make garments, to make clothes. So they immediately saw, I am different. Something is wrong here. We need to hide. Like my kid going and stealing a cookie out of the candy jar when I come in the room. And then they try to go hide it from me as if I'm stupid and I don't know what's going on. I'm going to get some leaves off the tree and I'm going to sew it and put it on my body and God's not going to know what happened. It's going to solve the problem. Sounds so stupid, but I do it all the time myself. And figuratively, so to speak, I don't have... And I don't sew leaves together and wear them around the house. Um, but then we see in verse 21 this beautiful act of grace that God then gives. A foreshadowing of the new covenant that we already read in Jeremiah that we see and we know is complete in the New Testament. God punished Adam and Eve after the fall. Clearly, there needed to be a separation because God is holy and we can't be before our holy God if we have any blemish or sin, which is good for us because we don't want there to be any sin when we get to heaven. It's a good thing. There needs to be punishment. There needs to be something to correct. So God punished Adam and Eve. says, you guys are out of the garden. There's now going to be problems. There's going to be results of the sin. There's going to be death. So God made for them garments of skins. And he sewed them together. What in the world is going on there? They have leaves that they sewed to cover themselves already. But then God sewed garments from skins. We see the first slaughtering of some animals. So, I mean, assuming that's where the skins came from. I, blood was shed. Death. Sin. And then we see God has to, or else we're goners, to step in and give us mercy and grace. And he gives, he says, no, you're not adequate. God rejected their self-clothing because only His mercy is acceptable. He clothes, not us. We don't clothe. Only God clothes. This is a foreshadow of the new covenant that He's going to fix their separation one day. Everything's a picture towards the future. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture. Everything points to Christ. God had a plan. His plan was going to happen. The covenant of marriage, the covenant that God is making. And we know that this new covenant was also purchased with the blood of of Christ. So in the Old Testament we have blood of animals, New Testament blood of Christ, one's insufficient. You ever think about when you read the book of Leviticus and everything, and all the different laws, you sin, you touch something unclean, your day is screwed. 
forget about any plans you had. Have you ever... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not supposed to say that. I, I might not be able to preach again up here. You're really in trouble if you sin. Your whole day is cleansing. You're never going to obtain righteousness to a point of you're going to get into heaven. <laughs> so we need some bloodshed that is actually going to work. Christ's blood, which was shed on the cross, covers more than the garments. It washes our sin away and it restores our position with Christ that one day we'll be with Him again. There is nothing greater than that. Absolutely nothing. That is central. You want to know how to fix your marriage, and trust me, I constantly have to work on fixing myself in my marriage. But it all starts with that. That is everything. Marriage is meant to be a display of this truth. It is the picture of the Gospel. Marriage is profound because it's a picture of Christ's love for the church and how did Christ display His love for the church? He died for the church. Though the church continuously sins and breaks the covenant, God responds with His grace and He upholds the covenant. We spit on God. We disobey God. We rely on the grace too much. We do things that Romans 6 tells us not to do. We often continue to sin knowing that God's grace is there. Sin so the grace may abound by no means. Don't, don't do that. But God is good. That is the foundation of everything. God and His character. His covenant is unbreakable. Romans 8, 37-39 is a picture of what, what can separate us from the love of God. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, you're purchased by His blood. The blood is sufficient. You are His. There's nothing that can separate you. You're bought. We're purchased. It's a covenant. Our marriage is a picture of that. It is never supposed to break. That is our biggest witness to the world around us. That is our biggest witness to our kids. The world looks at us to see, not first are we saying the right things. They want to know, is what you're saying genuine? Can I believe what you're saying? Do I look at you and see something that has changed in your life? And if I'm saying something and I'm being nice and I'm showing people I love Jesus, but then they see me with my wife and I treat her like dirt, where I break up with my wife and I made covenant and I said, yes, I'm going to stay with you forever through sickness and health till death do us part. And then all of a sudden my feelings change and I decide I'm going to break apart from my marriage. 
That's the first witness that says Jesus is real or Jesus is fake. And Jesus is always real, even if I screw up, which we're going to get to in communion. We <laughs> thank God because He's always there. Always. Even when I fail. But if I love Him, if I believe that His Word is real, and I believe that everything He says is good, I'm going to care about my marriage. If uh, things going on at church, there's so many different things going on, and uh, um, you know, I want to be there for the church, and I want to be faithful for the church, but that means I'm never spending any time with my wife, and my commitments aren't where they should be, and I'm not cherishing her, and I'm not taking care of her, then I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm not being a real witness. My ministry isn't really doing what it's supposed to be doing. And this is what marriage is patterned after, Christ's covenant with the church. I'm going to end with uh, another analogy that I, I stole. I stole just about everything I ever say up here from other people. But um, there's a man who had a car, and his tires kept getting worn out on his car way too early. So he goes to Les Schwab. He says, I need new tires. Put new tires on his car. So he drives his car for a year. Tires get worn out. There's a problem. He goes back to Les Schwab. says, I need new tires. Put new tires on his car. A year comes around. I need new tires. Tires keep getting worn out. Goes back to Les Schwab. says, I'm really ticked off because you guys have some horrible tires here. Even though you're upholding your warranty. The problem is... Is this? I, I keep needing new tires every year. So the guy that's working there says, "Well, let's let's put the car up. We'll take a look at it." They put the car up and they look underneath it and they say, "Yeah, you you do need new tires. You need to work on on your tires." But the root of the problem is your alignment. Your alignment is out of whack. And we can keep giving you new tires, but if we keep giving you new tires without fixing the alignment, you're still going to keep getting messed up tires. If the tires on our marriages are worn out, we first need to make sure that we have the correct alignment. I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward now for communion. Come up to to sing. That is that is what saved my marriage was was looking at the root of what marriage was in the covenant and seeing that I needed some realignment in my thinking and some fear of the Lord.
problems in our marriages, there's forgiveness in that. And what we have is now the model and the teaching um, in Scripture of how our marriage is supposed to look and and what it's supposed to represent. And uh, I thank God for His forgiveness of my sins and uh, the fact that um, he keeps his covenant, and I, even though I, I break it often. And so, if that was, it, if you're someone that that has gone through a divorce, um, you can you can hear a message like this: repent and run to Jesus. Right now, while you're thinking about about it, and and you're in communion. And you might have confessed before. You, you might want to confess again. But just ask for the grace then to correct where you're at. And then we wait one day, the, the marriage, where it'll be like it was in Genesis chapter 2 when there's no sin <laughs> in our marriages and we're together with Christ. Um, and we know that that was only, only is going to come about by the blood of Jesus which was shed for us because um, all those sacrifices and all the different things that we read about in Leviticus it didn't suffice but only only Christ in his death um, sustained that for I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, also he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for our marriages. Um, Would you continue to purify us with your word, continue to draw us near to you so that uh, one day you'll be able to present the church your body without spot or wrinkle um, before you, before yourself. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. Amen.